Jack Torrance thought, a vicious little prick. Almost stood 5-5, five five, and when he moved, it was with the prissy speed that seemed to be the exclusive dominant of all small plump men. The part in his hair was exact, and his dark suit was sober, but comforting. I'm a man you can bring your, your problems to, that suit said to the paying customer. To the hired help, it spoke more curtly. This can... This had to be better you. There, there was a red carnation in the label, perhaps so that no one on the street would mistake Stuart Ullman for the local undertaker. As he listened to Ullman speak, Jack admitted to himself that he probably couldn't, could not have liked any man on that side of the desk under the circumstances. Ullman had a question he hadn't caught. That was bad. Ullman was the type of man who would file such lapses away in a mental Rolodex for later consideration. I'm sorry. I asked if your wife fully understood what would, what you would be taking on here. And there's your son, of course. He glanced down at the implication in front of him. Daniel. Your wife isn't a bit intimidated by the idea? Wendy is an extraordinary woman. And your son is also extraordinary. Jack smiled a big, wide PR smile. We like to think so, I suppose. He's quite resilient for a five-year-old. Don't remain smile for a moment. He slipped Jack's, Jack's application back to do a file. The file went to a drawer. The desktop was now completely bare except for a blotter, a telephone, a dancer lamp, and an in-and-out basket. Both sides of the in-and-out were empty, too. Ullman stood up and went to the file cabinet in the corner. Step around the desk, if you will, Mr. Torrance. We'll look at the hotel floor plans. He brought back five large sheets and set them down on the glossy walnut plane of the desk. Jack stood by his shoulder, very much aware of the scent of Ullman's cologne. All my men wear the English light leather, or they wear nothing at all, came into his his mind for no reason at all, and he had to clap his tongue be between his teeth to keep in a bray of laughter. Be beyond the wall, faintly, came the sounds of the overlook's kitchen earing down from lunch. Top floor, Ullman said briskly. The attic. Absolutely nothing up there but bric-a-brac. The overlook has changed hands several times since World War II. And it seems that every successive manager has put everything they don't want in the attic. I want rat traps and poison baits stowed around in it. Some of the third floor chambermaids say they have heard rustling noises. I don't believe it. Not for a moment. But there mustn't be that 100 chance that a single rat inhabits the Overlook Hotel. Jack, who suspected that every hotel in the world has a rat or two, held his tongue. Of course you wouldn't allow your son up there in the attic under any circumstances. No, Jack said, and flashed a big PR smile again. Humiliating situation. Did this officious little prick actually think you would allow his son to go goof around in a rat-trap attic full of junk furniture? And God knew what else? Ullman must away the attic floor plan and put it on the bottle of the pile. 
The Overlook has 110 guest quarters, he said in a solid, scholarly voice. 30 of them. All suites are here on the third floor. 10 in the west wing, including the presidential suite. 10 in the center, 10 more in the east wing. All of them command magnificent views. Can you at least spare the sales talk? But he kept quiet. He needed the job. Allman pulled put the third floor on the bottom of the bow and they studied the second floor. Forty rooms, Ullman said. Thirty doubles and ten singles. And on the first floor, twenty of each. Plus three linen closets on each floor. And a storeroom. Which is at the extreme east end of the hotel on the second floor and the extreme west end of the first. Questions? Jack shook his head. Woman was the second and the first floors away. Now, lobby level. Here in the center is the registration desk. Behind it are the offices. The lobby runs for 80 feet in the in either direction from the desk. Over here in the west wing, this the overlook dining room and the Colorado lounge. The banquet and the ballroom facility is in the east wing. Questions? Only about the basement, Jack said. For the winter caretaker, that's the most important job of all. Where the action is, so to speak. Watson will show you all that. The basement floor on, is on the boiler room wall, he frowned impressively. Perhaps to show that, as manager, he did not concern himself with such mundane aspects of the Overlook's operation as the boiler and the plumbing. It might not be a bad idea to put some traps down there, too. Just a minute. He scrawled a note on the pad and he took his inner coat pocket. Each sheet bore the legend from, from the desk of Stuart Ullman in bold black script, tore it off, and dropped it into, a, into the outbasket. Sat there looking lonesome, the pad disappeared back into into Ullman's jacket pocket like, it could, like the conclusion of a mag magician's trick. Now you see it, jacket boy, now you don't. This guy's a real heavyweight. They resumed their original positions, Ullman behind the desk and Jack in front of it, interviewer and interviewee, sucking, su supplicant and reluctant patrician, patron. Ullman folded his neat little hands on the desk plotter and looked directly at Jack, a small balding man in a, blankers, in a banker's suit and quiet gray tie. Flower in his, his label was balanced off by a small label pin on the other side. It read simply "Staff" in small gold letters. I'll be perfectly frank with you, Mr. Torrance. Albert Shockley is a powerful man with large interest in the Overlook, which showed a profit of this season for the first time in history. Mr. Shockley also sits on the board of directors, but he is not a hotel man. He would be the first to admit this. But. He has made his wishes in his caretaking matter quite obvious. He wants you hired. I will do so. But if I had been given a free hand in this matter, I would not have taken you on. Jack's hands were clenched quietly in his lap, working against each other, sweating. Just a little prick of fish, just a little prick of fish. I don't believe you care much for me, Mr. Torrance. Torrance, I don't care. 
Certainly your feelings toward me play no part in my own belief that you're not right for the job. During the season that runs from May 15th to September, to September 13th, the Overlooks employs 110 people full-time. One for every room in the hotel, you might say. I don't think many of them like me, and I suspect that some of them think I'm a bit of a bastard. They would be correct in their judgment of my character. I have to be a bit of a bastard to run this hotel in the manner it deserves. Look to Jack for a comment. Jack flashed the PR smile again, large and insultingly toothy. Ullman said, Overlook is, was built in the years 1907 to 1909. The closest town is Sidewinder, 40 miles east of here, roads that are closed from sometime in late October or November, or sometimes until sometime in April. A man named Robert Townley Watson built it. A grandfather for a prison maintenance man. Vanderbilt says stayed here, and Rockefellers and Astors and DuPonts. Four presidents have stayed in here. Wilson, Harding, Roosevelt, and Nixon. I wouldn't be too proud of Hart, Harding, and Nixon, Jack murmured. Ullman frowned, but went on regardless. It proved to be too much for Mr. Watson, and, and, and he sold the hotel in 1915. It was, it was sold again in 1922, in 1929, and in 1936. It sold vacant. It stood vacant until the end of World War II, and it was purchased and completely renovated by Horne Sturwent, a millionaire inventor, pilot, film producer, and entrepreneur. I know the name. Jack said. Yes. Everything he touched seemed to turn to gold. Except the overlook. He funneled over a million dollars into it before the first post-war guest ever stepped through its doors, turning a discreet relic into a showplace. It was Jer, Jer Wint who added the, the roquet court I saw, saw you admiring when you arrived. Okay. A British four board bear of our co coquette, Mr. Dorns. Coquette is bastardized roquet. According to legend, Der, Der went to learn the game from his from his social secretary and fell completely in love with it. Ours may be the finest roquet court in America. I won't doubt it, Jack said gravely. A roquet court? It's a, pi it's a pirate full of hedge animals out front. What's next? A life-size um, Uncle Wiggily game behind the equipment shed? He's getting very tired of Mr. Stuart Ullman, but he could see that Ullman wasn't done. Ullman was going to have a say. Every last word of it. When he had lost three million, Derwin sold it to a group of California investors. Their experience with the Overlook was equally bad. Just not hotel people. In 1970, Mr. Shockley and a group of his associates bought the hotel and turned its management over to me. We have also run in the, in the red for several years, but I'm glad to say that our trust in, of the present owners in me has never wavered. Last year, we broke even. And this year, the overlooks of cans were written in black ink for the first time in almost seven decades. 
exposed that this fussy little man's pride was justified, and then his original dislike washed over and it began in a wave. Said, I see no connections between the Overlook's admittedly colorful history, and you're feeling that I'm wrong for for the post, Mr. Ullman. One reason for one reason that the Overlook has lost lost so much memory, so much money lies in the de deprecate depre deprecation and up and that occurs every winter. It shortens the profit margin a great deal more than you might believe, Mr. Torrance. The winters are fantastically cruel. In order to cope with the problem, I've installed a full-time winter caretaker to run the boiler and to heat different parts of the hotel on a daily rotating basis. To repair breakage as it occurs and to do repairs so the elements can get a foothold. To be constantly alert to any and every contingency. During our first winter, I hired a a family instead of a man. There was a tragedy, a horrible tragedy. Omen looked at Jack coolly and appraisingly. I made a mistake. I admit it freely. The man was a drunk. Jack felt a slow, hot grin, a tall anthesis of a toothy PR grin stretch across his mouth. Is that it? I suppose eight one didn't tell you. I'm retired. Yes, Mr. Shockley told me you no longer drink. He also told me about your last job. Your last position of trust, shall we say. You were teaching English in a Vermont prep school. You lost your temper. I don't believe I need to say any more specific than that. But I do happen to believe that Grady's case has a bearing and that's why I brought the matter to your previous history to the conversation. During the winter of 1970 to 1971, after we had refurbished the Overlook, but before his first season I heard this unfortunate named Delbert Grady. He moved into the quarters you and your wife and son will be sharing. He had a wife and two daughters. I had reservations, and the main ones being the harshness of the winter season and the fact that Grady's be cut off from the outside world for five to six months. But that's not really true, is it? There are telephones here, and probably a city since Pan Radio as well. And the Rocky Mountain National Park is within two health is within helicopter range, and surely a piece of ground that that big must have a chopper or two. I wouldn't know that, Omen said. The hotel does have a two-way radio that Mr. Watson will show you, along with a list of correct frequencies to broadcast on if you need help. The telephone lines between here and Sidewinder are above ground, and they go. And they go down almost every winter at some point or another and are apt to stay down for three weeks to a month and a half. There is a snowmobile in the equipment shed or so, also. Then the place is really cut off. Mr. Ullman looked pained. Suppose your wife and son tripped on the stairs and fractured her whole school, Mr. Torrance. Would you think the place is, is cut off then? Jack saw the point. 
snowmobile running at top speed would get you get you down to Sidewinder in an hour and a half. Maybe. A helicopter from the park's re rescue service would get would get up here in three hours under optimum conditions. In the blizzard it would never even be able to lift off and you couldn't hope to run a run a snowmobile at top speed. Even if you dared to take even if you dared to take a seriously injured person out into temperatures that might be 25 below or 45 below, if you added the windshield factor. In the case of Grady, Holman said, I reasoned much as Mr. Shock Mr. Shockley seemed to have done in your case. Solitude being, can be damaging in itself. Therefore, man to have his family with him. If there was trouble, I thought, the odds were very high that there could, there would be something less urgent than a fracture school or an accident that, with one of the power tools or some sort of convulsion, a serious case of the flu, pneumonia, broken arm, and appendicitis. Any of those things could, could have left enough time. I suspect that what happened came to came as a result of too much trip cheap whiskey, of which Grady had laid in a generous supply, unbeknownst to me, in a curious condition which the old timers call cabin fever. Do you know the term? Almost, oh, 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 offered a patronizing little smile ready to explain as soon as Jack admitted his ignorance, and Jack was happy to respond quickly and crisply. It is a slang term for the claustrophobic reaction that can occur when people are shut in together over long periods of time. The, the feeling of claustrophobia is externalized as dislike for the people you happen to be shut in with. In extreme cases, it can be as a result in hallucinations and violence. Murder has been done over such minor things as a burnt meal or an argument about whose turn it is to do the dishes. Holman looked rather nonplussed, which, which did Jack a world of good. He decided to press a, a little bit further. Suddenly promised when you could stay cool. I suspect you did make a mistake at that. Did he hurt them? He killed them, Mr. Torrance. Then committed suicide. He murdered the little girls with a hatchet and his wife with a shotgun. And himself the same way. His leg was broken, undoubtedly so drunk he fell downstairs. Almond sp spread his hands and looked at Jack self-righteously. Was he a high school graduate? As a matter of fact, he wasn't, Almond said a little stiffly. I thought a, shall we say, less imaginative individual would be susceptible to rigors, to loneliness. That was your mistake, Jack said. A stupid man is more prone to cabin fevers, just as he's prone to shoot someone over a guard game or commit a spur-of-the-moment robbery. He gets bored. When the snow comes, there's nothing to do but watch TV or play solitaire and cheat when he can't get all the aces out. Nothing to do but bitch at his wife and nag at the kids and drink. 
it gets hard to sleep because there's nothing to do here. So he drinks himself to sleep and wakes up with a hangover. He gets edgy and may maybe he tell telephone goes out and the TV aerial blows down and there's nothing to do but think it. He can cheat at Salter and get edgier and edgier. Finally, boom, boom, boom. Whereas more educated men such as yourself, my wife and I both like to read. I have a play to work on as a as as Al Shaki brought while he told you. Danny has has his puzzles, his coloring books, and his crystal radio. I plan to teach him to read. I also want to teach him to snowshoe. Wendy would like to learn how to. Oh yes, I think we can keep busy and out of each other's hair if the TV goes on the fritz. He paused. And Al was telling the truth when he he would tell he told you I had no longer drink no longer drink. I did once and it got to be serious, but I hadn't had so much as a glass of beer in the last fourteen months. I don't intend to bring any alcohol up here, and I don't think there will be any opportunity to get after the snow flies. And that you would be quite correct, Elman said. But as long as the three of you are up here, the potential for problems is multiplied. I have told Mr. Shockley this, and he told me he would take the responsibility. And I've told you, and apparently you are willing to take the responsibility. I am. Alright, I'll accept that, since I have a little choice, but I would still rather have an unattached college boy take up take up the year. Well, perhaps you'll do. Now, I'll turn you over to Mr. Watson, who will now take you to the basement and, and around the grounds. Unless you have further questions? No, not at all. I missed it. I suppose there's no hard feelings, Mr. Torrance. There are n there's nothing in the person... And the things I have said to you, I only want what's best for the Overlook, and it's a great hotel, and I want it to stay that way. No, no hard feelings. Jack flashed the PR grin again, but he was glad Ullman didn't offer to shake hands. There were hard feelings, all kinds of them. Chapter 2 Boulder she looked out of the kitchen window and saw him just sitting there on the curb, not playing with his trucks or the wagon or even the balsa glider that he'd been, he had pleased him so much all the last week since Jack had brought it home. He was just sitting there, watching for, this, for the shop-worn w, WV, his elbows planted on his thighs and his chin propped up in his hands five-year-old kid waiting for his daddy. Wendy suddenly felt bad, almost crying bad. She hung the dish towel over the bar by the sink and went downstairs, buttoning the top two buttons of her house dress, Jack in his pride. Hell no, Al. Oh, I don't need it in advance. I'm okay for in a while. The hallway walls were gone gouged and marked with crayons, grease pencil, and spray paint. The stairs were steep and splintery. The whole build smelt of sour age, 
And what sort of place was this for Danny after the small neat brick house in Stovington? People living above them on the third floor weren't married. And while they didn't bother her, constant rancorous fighting did. It scared her. The guy up there was Tom. And after the bars had closed and they returned home, fights would start in earnest. The rest of the week was just was just a prelim in comparison. Friday night fights, Jack called them, but wasn't funny. It wasn't funny at all. A woman, her name was a a Elaine, Elaine. I'll just call her Elaine. Would at last be reduced to tears and to repeating over and over, "Don't, Tom, please, please don't, please don't." And he would shout at her. Once they had awakened Danny, and Dan and Danny slept like a corpse. The next morning, Jack caught Tom um, going out and had spoken to him on the sidewalk in some length. Tom started to bluster, and Jack had said something else to him, too quietly for Wendy to hear. Tom had only shaken his head slowly, sullenly, and walked away. That had been a week ago, and for a few days things had been better. But since the weekend thing, things had been going, working back to normal. Excuse me, abnormal. It was bad for the boy. Her sense of grief washed over her again, but she was on on the walk now, and she smoldered. She smoldered, smothered it, sweeping her dress under under her and sitting down on the curb beside him and said, "What's up, Doc?" She she smiled at her, but it was perfunctory. Hi, Mom. The glider was between his sneakered feet, and she saw that one of the wings had started to splinter. Want me to see what I can do that with, with that, honey? Jack had gone back to staring up at the street. No, Dad will fix it. Your daddy will may not be back until summertime, Doc. It's a long drive back into those mountains. Do you think the bug will, will break down? No, I don't think so. But he had just given us something new to worry about. Thanks, Danny. I needed that. Dad said it might. Dan, Danny said, in a matter of fact, almost bored manner. He said in the fuel. He said the fuel pump was all shot to shit. Don't say that, Danny. Fuel pump? He asked her with honest surprise. She said, "No, all shot to shit. Don't you say that. Why? It's vulgar. What's vulgar, money, Mom?" Like when you pick your nose at the table or pee with, with the bathroom door. Or say things like, I'll shot to shit. Shit is a vulgar word. Nice people don't say it. Dad says it. When he was looking at the bug more, he said, Christ, Christ, this fuel pump's all shot to shit. Isn't that nice? How do you, how do you get to these things, boyfriend? Do you practice? He's... He's nice, but he's also a grown-up. And he's very careful not to say things like that in front of people who wouldn't understand. You mean like Uncle Al? Yes, that's right. Can I say it when I'm grown-up? I suppose you will, whether I like it or not. How old? How does 20 sound, Doc? That's a long time to have to wait. 
guess it is, but will you try? Okay. He went back to staring up the street. He flexed a little as he, as if to rise, but the beetle coming was much newer and much brighter red. She relaxed again. She wondered just how hard it is to move to Cal Colorado had been on Daddy. He was close-mouthed about it, but it was bothering. It had bothered her to see him spending so much time by himself. In Vermont, three of Jack's fellow faculty members had had children about Danny's age. And there had to, there had been preschool, but this neighborhood there, there was no, no one for him to play. Most of the apartments were occupied by students attending CU. Another few married couples here on Arapaho Street. Only a tiny percentage of had children. She had spotted perhaps a dozen of high school or junior high school age. Three infants and that was all. Mommy, why did Daddy lose his job? She was jolted out of her revere, her reverie, and floundered and floundering over an answer. She and Jack had discussed ways they might handle an evasion of to, to the plain truth with no varnish on it, but Danny had never asked, not until now, when she was feeling low and at least, at least prepared, prepared for such a question. Yet she, he was looking at her, maybe about that. She thought that to children, adult, adult motives and actions must seem this bulking and um. Ominous as dang as dangerous as animals seen in the shadows of a dark forest. It were jerked the though brought her dangerously close to tears again. And while she fought them off as as she leaned over and picked up a disabled glider and turned it over in her hands. Your daddy was coaching the debate team, Danny. Do you remember that? Sure. He said, "Arguments were fun, right?" Right. She, she turned the glider over and over, looking at the trade name, Speedo Glide, and the blue starred decals on the wings, and found, found herself telling the exact truth to her son. There was a boy named George Hat Hatfield that Daddy had to cut from the team. That means he wasn't as good as some of the others. George said that your daddy cut him for because he didn't like him and he, and not because he wasn't good enough. Then George did a bad thing. I think you know that. Was he the one who put holes in our bugs' tires? Yes, he was. It was after school and your, and your dad caught him doing it. Now she hesitated again, but there's no question of evasion now. It was reduced to tell the truth or tell a lie. Your daddy, sometimes he just thinks he, he's sorry for later. Sometimes he doesn't think the way he should. That doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it does. Did he hurt George Half Halffield like the time I spilled all over his papers? Sometimes. Danny with his arms in a cast. He does things he's sorry for later. And he blinked her, her eyes savagely hard, driving her tears all the way back. Sometimes like that, honey, your dad hit, 
hit George to make him stop cutting the tires and George hit his head and then the men who are who were in the ch in the charge of the school said that George couldn't go there anymore and your dad couldn't teach there anymore. She stopped out of words and waited in the dread for the devil the deluge of questions. Oh, Danny said, and went back to looking up the street. Apparently the subject was closed. If only it could be closed that easily for her. She stood up. I'm going upstairs for a cup of tea, Doc. Want a couple of cookies and a glass of milk? I think I'll watch for Dad. I don't think you'll be coming home much before five. Maybe he'll be early. Maybe. Maybe he will. She was half. She was halfway up the walk when she when he called. Mommy. What, Danny? Do you want to go and live? No, wait, do you want to go and live in that hotel for the winter? Now, with, now which of the five thousand answers should she give to that one? The way she had felt yesterday, or last night, or this morning, they were all different. They crossed the spectrum from rosy pink to dead black. She said, This is what your father wants. It's what I want. She paused. What about you? I guess I do. He said finally. Nobody much, much to play with around here. You miss your friends, don't you? Sometimes I miss Scott and Andy. That's all. She went back to him and kissed him. Rumbled his lightly colored, colored hair that was just as, was just losing its baby fit fineness. He was such a solemn little boy, and sometimes she wondered just how he was supposed to survive with her and Jack for parents. The high hopes they had began with which came down to this unpleasant apartment building in the city they didn't know. The image for Danny and his cast rose up for her again. Somebody in the divine placement service made had made a mistake. One he sometimes feared would never be corrected, which only the most innocent bystander could pay for. Stay on the road, Doc, she said and hung them tight. Sure, Mom. She went upstairs and into the kitchen. She put she put on the teapot and laid a couple of Oreos on a, on a plate for Danny in case he decided to come back while she was lying down. Sitting at the table with a big, big pottery cup in front of her, she looked out the window at him, still sip, still sitting on the on the curb with his blue jeans and his oversized green, dark green Stovington prep sweatshirt. The gladiator now lying beside him. The tears which had threatened all day now came in a cloudburst and she leaned to the fragrant curling steam of the tea and wept. And grief and loss for the past and terror for of the future. Okay.